0: So you're going to have to kind of follow in the Bible this morning. But Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 2, tells us about the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. Jesus, in in verse 1, it says, Now all the tax gatherers, all the publicans, that's another word for it, and the sinners were coming near him to to listen. In in other words, the, the people that were coming to listen to Jesus were the tax collectors. And tax collectors in that day were, were Jewish men who had bid for a contract to collect the taxes of Rome. Rome required so many percentage, so much percentage, and a certain amount. And these men had bid on the contract, they'd received the contract, and anything they could collect above that was theirs. And so it was a system rift with abuse. It was ripe for, 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 for cheating people. And the, and the tax collectors were some of the most hated people in Israel because they were looked at as traitors. They, they had turned their against their own people. They, were, they were, were stealing, literally, from their own people. And so the Jews hated the tax collectors. They hated, they hated them. Zacchaeus, I mean not Zacchaeus, but uh, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. The other group were, was just lumped into the sinners, okay? The, the notorious sinners. Well, let me explain who the notorious sinners were. The notorious sinners that, that, that Luke is talking about here are the men and the women, the common people, folks just like us, who couldn't keep all the rules that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had taken out of Scripture. I don't remember, I think it's 689. That may not be the exact number, but it's up there. There were all these little nuances of the law. In other words, you couldn't do certain things on the Sabbath day. Uh, And it was so nitpicky. You could do this, but you couldn't do this. And Jesus couldn't walk, but so far. If he took one step farther on the Sabbath day, it would have been considered working. It would have been a sin. You couldn't cook on it. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath because it was considered working. Well, they had taken all these, they'd made all these kind of rules. And so what had happened is, the common people, the people who had donkeys to feed and children to feed and lives to live, they would given up. Now, they hadn't given up on God. They had just given up on the religious system they lived in. But the religious system, Judaism, considered them sinners. They considered them worthless. They're even deal with them, and so that's who Jesus, he's not talking about here. It's it's not talking about now. They were there, the prostitutes and the thieves and and, and the liars and all that kind of. stuff. So those folks were there, but literally what it's talking about there is just common people, the the regular folks. They heard Jesus. Gladly, and the reason is because Jesus had something to say. Now there was another group. If you pay attention to the text here, it says they were coming near to listen to him. They were coming to listen to Jesus. Now there's another group here, and both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble. It says, "No, they're not there to listen. They're there to critique." That's very easy to grumble. Amen. In fact, it's far too easy to grumble. The reality of it is, we've all grumbled. We've all complained. But the Pharisees and the scribes were there, and, and they were looking to see who was coming. And this is their assessment. This man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, this man mixes and mingles with the sinners. Now, you know who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were the... I'm think of a, a nice way to describe the Pharisees. They were religious hypocrites, okay? Now, they believed that this book from cover to cover, okay? But they had added to Scripture. They would taken, they'd taken things that were very simple and made them very complex. They were the guardians of the law, the Torah. They, uh, they were the guys that stood on the street corners and, and prayed very loudly so that you could hear them. They were the guys who, when the offering plate was passed around, they made sure everybody saw what they put in. They were Pharisees. They were hypocrites. And then there were the scribes. The scribes were the religious teachers and lawyers. They were the ones who copied the Scriptures. They were very critical. So you've got two groups here. Jesus, you've got one teacher, two groups of students. You've got some that want to listen, and you've got some that want to be critical and condemn and pick things apart. And Jesus knows exactly who He's talking to, okay? Don't think that He doesn't know exactly who He's talking to. And so, what Jesus does in this chapter is he tells three parables. The first one is kind of not real specific. Now, they all knew what a, sh- a sheep was. They they knew who the shepherds were because that was a part of their Jewish system. It was a part of their economy: uh, sheep and wool and uh, lamb, and and all that was very important to them. So he tells the the parable in verse three. He said, and I'm just going. I'm going to paraphrase because I want to get to the the third one, but. He just asked this question, What man among you, if you had a hundred sheep and he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open field, in the open pasture, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? In other words, how many of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, wouldn't you go look for it? Now, every person there would go, well, sure. The open field was a safe place. And while we were in Israel, we had the opportunity. We think of fields as like the baseball field out there. It's just long and flat. Their, most of their open fields were up the sides of hills in this area, okay? Well, they would have put those sheep in a safe place, in a, in a sheepfold, and that shepherd would have gone out, and he would have looked and looked and looked until he found that sheep. And then it paints a picture of what that shepherd would have done. He would have put that sheep up around his neck, his hind feet over here and his front feet over here, and he would have carried him back. And Jesus says this. And when He found Him, He lays it on His shoulders rejoicing. In other words, He's excited. He's found what He's looking for. And when He comes home, He calls all His friends together. And His neighbors saying to Him, Rejoice with Me, for I found My sheep which was lost. Then Jesus, He's painted that story. All of them can picture that. Then He says this. I tell you the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In other words... What Jesus is saying is, when someone repents, heaven celebrates. Now, that was good news to half his audience. It was good news to the common people and to the tax collectors. It was not exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to hear. But it was scriptural. And so Jesus steps it up a little bit. He's talking, really, this parable probably communicates more to the common people than it did to the Pharisees and the scribes. But then he tells one that I think the scribes would have liked. He goes, or well, what woman, if she had ten silver coins, and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her neighbors and their friends, and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. Now, they love their money. Okay? So they, they would have sort of enjoyed that picture there. Well, sure. We, if, I, if I lost a silver coin, I'd look for it until I found it. And he and paints the picture of, of someone sweeping the house clean until they find that silver coin. You know, I'm kind of like this I've got nine still. If I can't find the other one, no big deal. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's he's placing the importance on the one that's lost. And Jesus said this in verse 10, In the same way I tell you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner who repents. Now, they didn't care for that. That wasn't what they wanted to think about. But again, the common people were encouraged. Now, Jesus has both groups kind of sitting on the end of their chair now. He's, really what he's doing is... He's about to tell a story, and he's going to use one son to illustrate one group and one son to illustrate the other group. And what we've done is we've spent all our time and all our energy on what we call the prodigal. We know all about the prodigal. The sad thing is is that it's the elder son that Jesus is really concentrating on here. I mean, he's fixing to deliver the, the hammer blow to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But what happens is, most of the time in our sermons, we've run out of time before we get to them, and so they, they get a bye, okay? I'm not going to preach about either one of them this morning, okay? But I want you to understand that. And so Jesus tells a story. He's drawn them in, and he tells a story. And he said in verse 11, A certain man had two sons. Now, there are two groups here, and they were just as separated as these isles separate you from you. They were all Jews, but they were separated. There was the religious elite over here and the rest of the folks. Now, I'm not saying you're the rest of the folks and you're the religious elite. I'm just saying, look at this aisle. It separates us. They were separated. This group, I'm going to do it this way, okay, so you don't feel like I'm saying this group. This group had nothing to do with this group. And that's what this group was there for. This group was there to help this group. And so Jesus... Begins to tell these stories. Two groups of people are going to tell three stories, and there's four different four different things. There's a there's a lost there's a lost coin. And the last story has two lost boys in it. The point is, is there's something lost. And so he says, and a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now that would have been a very unusual thing. Number one, younger sons did not ask for their inheritance because they were lucky if they got very much. The older son always got the double portion. And what was left was split between the rest of the sons. But here's a younger son. Here's, here's the baby boy coming to his daddy. Daddy, Daddy's not even dead yet, okay? You, got, you have to realize that. You didn't get your inheritance until your father passed away. So he's come to his father. He says, Father, I want what's mine. And that's literally what he says. Oh, man, I want what's mine. Listen to what the father does. And he divided his wealth between them. He didn't just give... See, we we missed that. He didn't just give the younger son all this cash and give the older son nothing. He divided it between them. That was unheard of. And we know the story. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. In other words, he blew it. I mean he he whined and dined and he had all the friends in the world as long as the money was there but when the money was gone he had no friends left. He enjoyed sin for a season. Now Jesus is focusing right now on those common people that'd given up. And what he's saying to them is you're wasting your life in what you're chasing. You're wasting your life. You're wasting the riches of the father trying to to find happiness and trying to find security and trying to find this and trying to find that and trying to find it over here and over there. You're wasting your life. And he goes a little deeper and he says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And And the boy began to be in need. Famine is always a picture of disobedience, really. Whenever there's disobedience, famine comes. When famine comes... There's no water because the water ceases and the crops die and there's no food. There's nothing to eat. So this, little, this boy finds himself. He's had, he's had a, a pocket full of money. And he finds him in a place where even if he had money, it wouldn't help him. But he has no money. And there's a famine occurs. There's nothing to eat. And it says in verse 15, And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of the country. And this man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs, to feed the swine. Now, you know, that's not a big deal for us. But a pig was unclean to the Jews. In fact, if you go to the Middle East today, pig, you won't see any pigs, okay? You won't eat any bacon. Trust me. I looked everywhere for it. I saw none until I got to Germany. And I fell on my knees and praised God for it, okay? And the reason is, it's unclean to the Jews and it's unclean to the Muslims. None of them have anything to do with pigs or swine. What Jesus is doing, he's painting a deep, dark, black hole. That's what he's doing. He's trying to paint us a picture of how far this young man went. And it says, he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. In other words, he was so hungry, so desperate, that he would have even eaten what the pigs were eating. This is not being wasted on those common people at that point. Jesus is not throwing rocks at them. He's just painting a picture of their spiritual condition. And they realized it. That's why they came to Jesus. That's why they listened to him. For the first time in hundreds of years, someone had something to say that didn't just fall on their brains and go in their ears. It fell on their heart. It satisfied them. The starving that was in their spirit. I love verse 17. But when he had come to his senses. In other words, the picture is when all of a sudden he came to himself. That's literally what it means. When all of a sudden he realized where he was at. What he was involved in. What was going on. It was like, ding, the light came on. What in the world am I doing here? And he said to himself, How many of my father's hired men? I have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. Why in the world did I leave home? Why did I think I could find what my soul desired somewhere else? I had everything that my heart could desire at home. Then he says this in verse 18. I will get up. That's important. You know, sometimes when you live with the pigs, you have to get up. He said, I will get up and I will go to my Father. He's going this direction. All of a sudden, he says, I will go to my Father. that's That's a picture of repentance. Repentance means to change directions, 180 degrees. I was headed this way, now I'm going that way. And he says, I will go to my Father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned in your sight. And I'm not worthy to be called your son any longer. I'll be happy to be one of the hired men. I'll be happy to be one of your servants. In other words, if you'll just take me back, let me be like one of the servants, everything will be great. And it says, and he got up and came to his father. In other words, he headed home. Now, I want to pause there a minute. Because I want to come back to what takes place. There's another son. This son is the older son. He's the eldest son. He's the one who stands to inherit everything that dad has. Everything that the father has is his. He will inherit his name. He will inherit the land they live on. He will inherit everything. The bank account, everything. He didn't leave. He stayed home. That ought to be worth a check on the board. Don't you think? Well, that's the way the Pharisees believed. God loves us. This young man, he didn't leave. And I'm going to skip a little bit because I want to come back here, but fast forward through the story a little bit. The son comes home. Dad throws a party. He's out in the field working. He's doing everything that he knows to please the father, to get that attaboy, that pat on the back. You've done a good job, son. He stays out late in the fields. He works. But that afternoon in verse 25, now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what that, those things might be. Instead of asking his father, he asked a servant. And the servant tells him that your brother's come back home. Your father's killed the fatted calf, he's cranked up the band, and they're having a party. Verse 28 is telling, But he became angry. Wonder what he was angry about? You ever been jealous? Jealousy is when you wished you had what someone else had. I think his was even more... He was envious. Envious is when you're willing to do whatever it takes to get what somebody else has. He was angry. And he was not willing to go into the party. I want to stop right there. Now, you have one son that's basically a pig, okay? He's just living it up, having a big time. You've got one son, though, that, I mean, he's doing everything right... I mean, he's working his fingers to the bone. He's keeping all the rules, all the regulations. He's, everything is just right down the middle line. But you know what? Both of those boys were lost. And I don't mean lost in the sense that we... When I say lost, to most church people, they think they don't know Jesus. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about this morning, okay? That wasn't what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about they had no clue of who their father was. That's what it that means. They were lost. This one didn't live in the father's house anymore. He was out in a far country lost. This one lived with his father, but he didn't know who his father was. He didn't know anything about his father. You know what? It's really easy for us to be either place when it comes to our relationship with God. We can be doing our own thing, having a gray old time, or we can be doing all these religious things that are so dadgum important, we think, And still not know who God is. While I was at the Wailing Wall. By the way. I I rolled up one of our Eagles Wing cards. And stuck it right in the wall. And prayed for us. Okay, (laughs) I also prayed for our church. And put it in there. But while I was there. I just kind of took in the sights and the sounds. And and one of the things you will see. Is you will see religion at its zenith. And it's not just there. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Jews for a minute. But I'll share a little bit about the, the rest of us. You will see. The orthodox, the ultra-orthodox guys, they don't cut the frontals of their hair, and it's hanging in curls, and they're dressed in black, and they're rocking back and forth, and they're praying. You'll see the phylactery, the guys with the phylacteries, the Scripture boxes on their head. And I saw one young man getting laced up. It was just the two guys that were laced up. It was very meticulous. Very, it was done in a very specific way. In other words, you don't run up there and strap it on and go up. They did it very... They had the prayer shawls on. It was, it was religion. Okay, Now, you go into the Protestant churches that mark every spot that Jesus may or may not have been at, and you see the other side of it, And Caiaphas' house, which is, there's a church built over it, and the name of the church is basically the Church of the Cockcrow. Okay, I can't say it, Galliantru or something like that anyway. Under this church is literally Caiaphas' house and the prison. And in the rock formation, it's been of a man's arms out like this, and his knees are bent this way, and they believe that's where Jesus stood, okay? People are pushing and shoving so they can pin themselves against that wall, and they walk out of there. They've had a religious experience, okay? I saw that over and over and over. It's religion. Which is worse, that or what's going on with the wall? Neither. They're both empty. Jesus is talking to a group of men whose religion was empty. That's what this oldest son was. It was a picture of of the Pharisees and the scribes. The older son is the scribes and the Pharisees. And all that they were doing, all they could tell you all about God. They knew all the, the, they could quote all the verses. They could quote Scripture. They could, they could give you the, their lineage, all that stuff. And all of it, in essence, was worthless because they did not know the Father. And I want you to hit pause right there between those two extremes because in this story is a picture of who God really is. And I believe there are some people here this morning that need to know this God. The God of Scripture is not a God who sits on a throne with his finger poised, with lightning bolts flashing around it, waiting for us to mess up so he can fry us. He's not a God who's gone on vacation and doesn't care anymore. Jesus paints a very extravagant picture of a father in this story. And I'm going to just share a little bit about it. Hopefully you'll see God in it. Let's go back to the first son. Remember he said in verse 18, I'll go home to my dad and I've sinned against heaven. I'll tell him I've sinned against heaven. He worked up, he had plenty of time obviously to get home. So he worked up just the right speech. And this is what I'll share with dad when I get there. This is what I'll say. In verse 19, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. And in verse 20 it says, And when he got up and came to his father... Okay, he, can't, he headed back home. Then there is a little word there in verse 20. It's but, B-U-T. There's a contrast here. And, and Jesus inserts that for a reason. There's a contrast now about to take place. The last thing we read is here's a son who's going to go home. He's going to grovel and beg his father so he can be a servant. And Jesus wants us to understand there's, going, there's fixing to be a contrast here. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, the only way his father could see him is if every day his father didn't climb up to a high place and watch and wait. Every time you and I wander off, God begins to watch and to wait. He begins to look. It says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He saw his boy coming home. Now, this is the same boy who the last thing he'd said to his father was, Oh, man, give me what's mine. Well, he was a long way off. His father saw him. He was looking for him. Can I just say this? The only way that you can find something that's lost is to look for it. Now, that might be coins. That might be important. That might be relationships with somebody. You may be here this morning, and you've got a relationship. It's not where it needs to be. Okay? You can sit and wait till that other person comes. Or you can go to them. you got the choice. If you want to be like the father, you go to them. It says, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. There was a passion. That's my boy. That's my son. Make no mistake about it. If you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, you are a child of the King. And there is a love in God's heart for you that no one anywhere can describe. I can't describe it. Okay? He calls us His beloved. He says He has drawn us to Himself with loving kindness. That's the Old Testament word for grace. That word drawn, He has wooed us. He's played a love song that just caught our ears and drew us to Him. His father and he felt compassion for Him. And then it says, and he ran. Now, Dad didn't just sit down and say, well, there comes my boy. You know what? I knew he'd come to his senses. I knew it. I knew it. You see... We read that, and and we don't think anything about it, but in Middle eastern culture, adult men did not run. It was undignified. They didn't run. You know why they didn't run? It's because they wore long robes. So for this man to have run, guess what he had to do? He had to reach down, grab the back, tuck it in here, grab the front, tuck it in here. Now, all of a sudden, his legs are showing, and his ankles are showing, and for an eastern man, that was anathema. That was like being naked, okay? But that's the picture all of a sudden. Jesus is painting of this father. And by the way, just so we don't miss it, he's painting this This father is God, okay? And so here's this old, dignified gentleman, a landowner, an aristocrat, okay? I mean, he, he's not a beggar man. And he's, he's got his robe tucked in his belt, and he's hauling, okay? And everybody that sees him is going, I can't believe that. Oh, my gosh. What a shame. You know? But you know what? This father doesn't care. You know why? Because there's his boy. Here's his child. It says, and he ran. And he embraced him. I mean, he didn't just run up and say, welcome home, son. I'm glad you're here. Come on. Man, he just, he just bowled over him, grabbed him up in his arms. And our scripture says, and kissed him. Well, uh, one time. Okay. That's not the picture here. He began to kiss every inch. I mean, everything he could grab, he kissed. He kissed top of the head, back of the head, ears, mouth. I mean, even today when you greet, when, when you, I, I just kind of watch while I was in Israel. When an Arab would meet another Arab, they would kiss each other on the cheeks. The Jewish men would do the same thing. Very, I mean, it, for an American, it's, it's, it kind of nerves me a little bit, but over there, it's okay. But, but that's not even the picture. This father takes his boy. I mean, this was a grown man, okay? He wasn't a, a 12-year-old. And he's kissing him all over. And he's hugging him. He's not going to let him go. He's squeezing the life out of him. And then the son, you know, he, he finally comes to his senses and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He, he's got his speech out, okay? he got it out. Well, dad's not even listening to him anymore. Didn't hear a word he said. There's another but there, if you notice that. But, contrast, the father called to his slaves, and he says to them, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost. And it's been found. Dad says, go get the robe. This is not just a robe. This is the robe that his father kept in his closet for special occasions. This is styling profiling, okay? He's he's fixing to put on the, the tux, basically. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how beautiful this robe would be. He sends one of the servants after the robe. See, and then, then he takes the ring that's on his finger, his signet ring. This is the ring of authority. He slides it on that that." that boy's dirty finger. Then he gets a pair of sandals because only the slaves didn't wear shoes. Slid shoes on his dirty feet. Put that robe over his dirty body. And, and here's the, the picture I'm trying to paint. For what Jesus is painting is, is that, you know what? It's not what we've been involved in. It's not that. The, the Jews were so meticulous about not touching certain things. They were unclean. Listen, if you'd fed pigs and lived with figs and were willing to eat what the pigs had eaten, you were about as unclean as you could be. And trust me, he'd had no bath between the time he left the pigs till he got to his dad, okay? And here's this father. He's run as hard as he could. He's grabbed this boy up in his arms. He's already kissed most of the dirt off of him. Now he's put the best robe that he's got on him. He's stuck the ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. For those people who were what Luke calls the notorious sinners, this was good news. To me, this is good news. We have a father who is literally a prodigal. He's extravagant. He could have said, Son, you're going to have to live out in the barn a while until you get your life straightened out. But that's not what he said. He said, this is my son. I don't care what's going on in his life. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to restore him. I'm going to give him back what was his, what he's lost. And listen to me. I don't know where you're at, what's going on in your life, what you're running from. But all you have to do is come to your senses. And when you do, God will be right there in your face. And he will kiss you. He won't just kiss you, he'll kiss you everywhere. He'll hug you. I mean, How many of you have ever... I mean, one of the things we saw on the way back is we saw probably literally... Over two days of traveling back, we literally saw hundreds of young men and young women either going to the Middle East to serve or coming home. How many of you, I want to be careful what I say here, because I know some of you have loved ones in the military, but just imagine if someone you loved had been gone for a long, long time. I remember getting off the airport in Israel, and they were just... Gobs of people out there waiting on. They had signs, and they were jumping up and down. And somebody'd come out of the crowd, and they just cover them up. Would you go to the airport and just stand there and go, "Well, son, I'm glad you're home"? No, you wouldn't. It's it's the picture of what you you would. You, I mean, you'd embrace them hug them, and that's God. That's God. See, God's not waiting till you get everything right before He'll love you. God's dumping love out in the process of us getting everything right. You see, it, our responsibility is to go to Him. His responsibility is to get everything right. That's why the common people listen to Jesus. All they'd ever heard was there's 10,999 things you've got to do to make God happy. And you know what? That's what I heard most of my life in church. And one day it dawned on me that, you know what? I'm never going to get all ten thousand ninety nine things done right. I'm never going to. And if I've if got to do all that for God to love me, God's never going to love me. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says God has loved us with an everlasting love. And Jesus just paints a picture of, an, of a prodigal father, an extravagant father, a father who didn't just... I mean, this dad could have walked out to have seen his son. This father could have said, Son, I'm going to let you come back on a, you know, on a temporary basis. And if, if you can keep my rules and do things like I want, I'll let you live with us, and we'll, we'll work it out. That's not what he did. He, he bowled him over with love. Now, that's the extravagant father toward the what we call the prodigal, the wayward son. Now, I want to kind of walk through the, the father as he deals with his other son, because Jesus is all of a sudden now, he is, half his audience is, they're jumping up and down, they're cheering, they're going wild, okay? And half of his audience are a little disgusted, because this is not the way that they would have handled it. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, had they been God, they would have sentenced this young man to whatever and made him do all this stuff, and when he got it done, he could have come back. That's the way they were. And so they're not, a little, they're not happy right now. So Jesus, all of a sudden, the noose is tightening, and Jesus is really getting to the point he wants to get to by telling all this story up to this point. So he's, he's kind of sucked them into a trap, and they don't realize it. Verse 25 says, Now his older son was in the field, When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed him for the fatted calf. Because he received him back safe and sound." By the way, they always kept a calf or a lamb, depending on their financial status. They always kept one over here in a fattening stage, just in case they had a special visitor. So, Dad's had this calf over here, and he's been fattening him up for a special occasion. Well, now he's got a special occasion. My son's come home. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And listen to what it says. And the father came out. Instead of sending someone for this son, the father leaves the party where they're celebrating the son who's returned and goes out to the son who's been there all the time. You see, what Jesus was saying is, you know what, Jesus, people, God loves the sinners, And God loves those that think they have no sin. He loves those who think they're so righteous. He loves them too. And he's willing to go to them. See, he went to the son that had been obviously in sin. Now he goes to the son who it's not nearly as obvious, but who's in sin as well. He goes out to him and begins inquiring what these things might be. In other words, he begins to question his son. Son, tell me what's wrong. Why won't you come in? Why won't you join the party? Why won't you be a part of this? By the way, I think God is probably saying that to a, a lot of religious folks today. This is not. This is not. What it's all about. Why don't you come in instead of staying out here? You see, both of the boys were out there. One was in a far country, and one could see his father, but he was just in far, as far a country. And the father says, "Why don't you come in?" But he began. His father began entreating him. But he answered and said to him. To his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me even a kid. And a kid is a a young goat, a young lamb, okay? You've given him the fatted calf, and you had not even given me so much as as a lamb so that I could be married with my friends. For so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. I don't know what you hear there, but what I hear is arrogance. I hear somebody who thinks they have it all together. They've crossed all their T's, dotted all their I's. They're religious. They've got it together. God, look at me. Jesus has just painted the picture of the Pharisees in kodachrome living color. They, they, they can't squeeze this way. They can't squeeze that way. I mean, the spotlight is dead on them. These are the guys who stood on the street corners and prayed really loud prayers so everybody could hear. These are the guys, as I mentioned earlier, who, who dropped the coins from long distances so they would rattle when they hit, So that, or they had a parade down to the front of the church to drop their offering in. And what they're saying is, Lord, we've prayed on the street corners. That's what this boy, in essence, is saying. Hey, look at us. Look at us. And then he, there's another but here, okay? All of, he, he's been talking about himself. I've done everything you've ever wanted me to do. I've, I've obeyed everything. But when this son of yours, not my brother. You see, the Pharisees didn't see these people on this side of the street as their brothers. These were the notorious sinners. These were the common, this is garbage. That's the way they looked at people. But, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots. Now how does he know what he spent his money on? He wasn't there. But that's about as bad as, as he could think, okay? As devoured your wealth with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. You have a party for him and welcome him home. And then I want you to listen, verse 31. And the father said to him, my child. He didn't say, son, boy, smack. He didn't do any of that stuff, okay? Now That's probably what my dad would have done to me, I promise you. He goes, child, that is isn't a term of an endearment. That's a term of the heart. Child, child, my child you have always been with me and all that i all that is mine is yours he reminds the boy he reminds him that that what he thought he had and what was important is not really what's important it's the presence he's been in the father's presence all this time and he didn't even he doesn't even it's it's no big deal to him all he wants is somebody to kill a calf for him and pay a few musicians to to strum a little bit and sing a few songs and have a little dance and he'd have been happy. And folks, I, I think we're willing to accept far less than the Father wants to give us. You know what? Heaven is important. Okay? Don't, don't get me wrong here. Don't, don't miss what I'm trying to say. The destination is important. We're going to be there for eternity. It's important. But the journey from right now until we get there is equally important. Because if we don't learn anything about the Father until we get there, we have missed... Some of the best stuff. My child. My children. That's what Jesus is saying. My children. He's talking to these men who in a little while would crucify him. He knows what, he kn- he knows what they will do. They'll kill him because they're envious. My children, you have always been with me. I've been right here with you. My presence. You know, as I've, the longer I'm married, the more I enjoy just being with Kathy. She didn't have to do anything. She didn't have to say anything. I just liked to be in her presence. I didn't know how important that was until we moved to Mississippi, and she was back and forth. You don't realize what you've got until it's gone. One of these boys forfeited all of it. The other boy had it but never stepped into it. What's the difference? There's no difference. They were both lost. And then he says, But we have to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead. Has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, the wonderful thing about this chapter is the sheep that was lost, the shepherd found. The coin that was lost, the woman found. There's two sons that are lost, but only one of them is found. There's another son that is still yet wandering. We don't know what happened to him. We're not given. You know why? Because we are either lost or found. That's our condition today we're either lost or found and i'm not speaking of salvation here i'm speaking of wandering away from god when we know who god is when we know that god loves us when we know that he desires us to be in his presence we can either wander or we can be there in his presence the thing is god loves both these sons with all his heart now where are you where are you you know what? You can be wandering out in a distant country, living it up, having a great time. Famine will come. You may be experiencing that famine. All you have to do is come to your senses, and if you'll come to your senses, you know what? The Father will run to you. He will gather you up in His arms, and He will make His love known to you. Or you may be doing all the religious right things, looking really good. You're you're at church every Sunday. Uh, You don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you add on, on, and on. The only problem is, you know what? You wouldn't know God if He walked up in front of you because your faith is based on what you're doing rather than on the grace that God has given us. You know what? You're just as lost as the person, both of us. I mean, if you're either here or here, you're in the high grass, you're lost, okay? Okay? God's looking for all his kids. God's looking for all his kids. He loves his kids. Folks, religious works won't make God love us anymore. And you know what? I don't care what you've done. It won't make God love you any less. God's door is open to his house. And whether you believe this or not, there is a party going on in that house. It's our choice or not whether we join it, whether we walk into it. He loves us with all his heart. He hungers for our presence. And folks, whether you realize it or not, we hunger for His. One boy tried to fill his life with fun. The other boy tried to fill his life with religion. And both of the boys were lost. Jesus is looking at at two groups, but really they're just one group. They're just one group. They're all notorious sinners. They're all lost. They're all wandering around looking for the same thing. And neither one of them will ever find it. Unless, and here's this is the part where God is the prodigal, unless God is extravagant in His grace and just pours it out on them. You know what? You'll never find God on your own. God pursues us passionately. God loves us. And by that I mean He loves you for who you are right where you are at. If you'll allow Him to love you and draw yourself up to, close to Him, You know what? He'll deal with all the other garbage. He'll deal with the the junk you've brought on yourself, and he'll deal with all that religious garbage that you've collected along the way and been told that if you do this and don't do that and and do this and don't do that, you'll be a better person. Okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? It's grace. Now, that's what extravagance is. God pours out on us what we don't deserve. That's a prodigal. And folks, we serve a prodigal, god an extravagant god i don't know about you but i don't want to be the son that we don't know what's happened to him we're not sure if he ever comes in the house if he ever joins the party we're not sure if he was ever found how about you today let's pray